the team at Splash. I'm Billy Bonson, and this is True Stories of Field Marketing, our podcast where we dive deep into the world of field marketing. You get the inside scoop from the best of the best in the industry, discussing the lessons they've learned, event strategies that work, and their personal secrets to success. On this episode of True Stories of Field Marketing, we were fortunate enough to sit down with Erica Parker, who oversees the mid-market field marketing team at Freshworks. Erica is so super passionate about trade shows and conferences, and we spent the bulk of our discussion talking about the future of conferences and trade shows, what she saw and learned from an event she just came back from in Las Vegas, and where she thinks things are headed for the industry. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy this new episode of True Stories of Field Marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this newest episode of True Stories of Field Marketing. And I am thrilled to be talking to Erica Parker today. Erica is the head of field marketing for North America Mid-Market at Freshworks. And we have an exciting topic at hand today, talking about the future of conferences and trade shows. But before we hop into that, let's bring Erica on. Erica, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Where are you coming from today? Where are you based out of? I'm in Discovery Bay, California. Okay. All right. West Coast. Cool. So let's... Before we hop into the the future of conferences and trade shows, and I think this is a really meaty topic. I think there's a lot of interest. Hopefully, there's a lot of interest from our audience to to hear about this because I know personally I do. But before we hop into that, we'd love to just get to know you a little bit better. So... You know, tell us a little about who you are and, and your background, where you currently are right now and where you've been prior to that. Currently, I'm at Freshworks, like you said, just leading the field marketing strategy and execution for the mid-market. We're fairly new. The field marketing team actually was launched in North America at the beginning of 2020 during like when COVID hit. So it was a really interesting time for them to actually launch a field marketing team. And then before that, I was kind of more in like the cloud native space. I did worked at a lot of different startups like CoreOS and Tegera and Lightstep. And before then, I was more at like the bigger companies that probably people have heard of, like VMware and Workday. Prior to that, I was still doing events, but it was more transportation logistics. So I did health and safety. I was OSHA certified. Oh. I would completely different. I would fly around and do health and safety events at different facilities for to make sure they were OSHA compliant, licenses were up to date, everyone's forklifts were, you know, they were forklift certified and do like CPR training, things like that. But nobody was ever excited to see me because I was basically checking to make sure everything was, you know, yeah. So I, I was really excited to leave that and then get into tech and move over to VMware. So that's kind of where my journey started in tech probably around eight years ago, but in events altogether, probably 10 years. It is so interesting how people wind up in tech or in, and I think specifically in field marketing. I have I have a similar story. I was in I was in sports marketing and then I did healthcare marketing and then I wound up working in tech for for field marketing. But to go from you know OSHA compliance yeah. <laughs> to doing you know B two B tech field marketing is is quite the quite the journey. I wanted to make sure that the audience did not miss this, but the field marketing function at Freshworks started during COVID. Is that is that accurate? That is accurate. Before that, the company's based out of India, right? So it hasn't been in North America very long. And I think, you know, they, they launched it in the beginning, right? And COVID really hit prior on like March pretty hard, but they still wanted to go forward with it. So it, it was an interesting journey with the team, kind of navigating that together. Wow. I'm at a little bit of a loss of words because launching a field marketing function during COVID is 
is a little bit of a challenge. It's a little bit of a challenge. So kudos to the team over at Freshworks for conquering that challenge. I respected them for it. I mean, at the time, if you remember, everybody was laying off their yeah. events. And, you know, it was kind of one of those, like, everyone was saying events are dead. Field marketing is dead. And everybody was freaking out. Right. And it was, I was freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, let's do this. And it was great because they didn't believe that field was dead. They thought like, okay, the landscape has changed to virtual. So we're still going to do this. It's just yeah. to do it. So I had a lot of respect for Freshworks that they did that and built the team up instead of letting people go. There's a lot of places that zigged and then there's few places that zagged. And, and it sounds like Freshworks was one of the, the latter, the, the zaggers here. It's crazy because a lot of organizations, a lot of companies either downsized or completely laid off their field marketing team or didn't like build out the team, kept growing the team, just kind of kept it at the same size. So, so, so to hear of an organization that started during the COVID times is actually... I don't know if it's a rarity or not, but that's the first I've heard of it. Switching gears here, in your opinion, what skills or talents are essential to being successful in field marketing? I think the number one is being organized. I mean, there's so much that you're juggling all the time as a field marketer. I feel like if you don't like spreadsheets and show plans and being extremely scheduled and being able to pay attention to detail really well, you're not going to like this field. And I've worked with people who they come in and they have these like ideas of like events and it's going to be like a lot of parties and (laughs) meeting a lot of people and traveling. And that is part of it and being creative. That is like the fun part, but there's so much to keep track of constantly with deliverables for an event, uh, for a show, you know, everyone is scheduled on site, making sure that there's meetings, making sure like if you have a booth, everything is, you know, the branding, the messaging, the giveaways, everything. There's so much that you're tracking constantly that if you're not organized, this is going to be a really tough field for you. And on top of that, you're managing all the people going to this event. So you have to keep them organized and scheduled as well. So if you're not organized and a scheduled person, I don't think this is going to be the field for you and you're going to end up leaving, in my opinion. You're 100% accurate, at least in my opinion. It is such a detail-intensive role. Day-to-day, it is... We're talking to an audience that obviously understands this and hopefully people that are listening to this are nodding along. But there's so many little nuances and details that goes into each program that you run from the small regional event to the large potentially national conference and trade show to the quarterly long integrated campaign that you're running in conjunction with others on the marketing team. There's there's just so many little details. And it's easy sometimes to miss those details. And what separates probably the good from great and potentially the the not so good from the, the good and great is the ability to minimize as missing as many details as you can. You're gonna there's always going to be something that you wish you could have upon. There's always going to be something that you wish I wish I did that different a little bit different instead. I wish I would have dotted that I different. I would have wish I would have crossed that T a little bit differently. But it's it's those who can kind of minimize the second guessing that I think are really successful in field marketing. Yeah, I think what I've learned over the years is, and I will shout out Tamara Fox from VMware. Well, she, I don't know if she's still there, but when I started my career in tech, she was my manager, and she had us create show plans and master trackers and meeting every single week with everyone. And that's kind of how I was trained initially. Even if it was the smallest happy hour event, she made me be very consistent and always creating those. And it was to be transparent, right? And that a lot of times sales and your stakeholders aren't really paying attention to every single meeting or every single update that you're doing. And then 
you get down to the wire and they're like, what am I supposed to do? When is this happening? And it's like, what if you're in Spain, you know, and it's three o'clock in the morning and someone's asking you and there's no way to get in touch with you. She's always like, they can go to your show plans. They can go to your trackers. They can answer those questions for themselves because you are transparent and all your events are consistent. So it's something that has stayed with me all the way to now when I'm training some of my event marketing associates that sometimes they're like, it's just a happy hour. And it's like, I know, but it's important to be consistent because your stakeholders aren't paying attention and reading all your emails. And if they can just go to your drive and find the event and open it up, all the answers are there. So it's just something that's always stayed with me and, you know, (laughs) all those details in one place. (laughs) Effective communication is probably the, the secret sauce to being a successful field marketer as well as just because you definitely can over communicate and then you could over communicate in a manner where you're just giving so much detail that they're losing the essence of the program or what they ask is. So having the ability to effectively communicate is another thing that I think is so critical to being successful in this role. I've had some teams where they're like too much information. And then I had some where it's like, I need more, send yep. more. So you just got to know your audience and what they want. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So specifically at Freshworks, what does your current focus look like? And what's the composition of the team that you're currently leading? I've managed two field marketing associates and we focus on the mid-market in North America. So that's pretty much the US and Canada, 501 to 5,001 company size, director level and above, 100 million in revenue and above, all industries. So we don't have a block there. Mm-hmm. And basically, we have to deliver sales qualified pipeline. So campaigns and signups for about 2.3 million per quarter around there. So that's been our focus. So it's been we've been lucky that we've hit over it every time. We've been really lucky. Freshworks is has been thriving even through COVID. Yep. I wanted to to hit upon one quick thing here. So your team, is it you have a remote based team? Like is everybody in the same centralized location in the bay like you are, or are they scattered about here? No, we're all over the place. So the company, when this all started, obviously we were all remote. There was a small office here in San Mateo, but it's tiny. I've been there only once since I've worked here when they're kind of having these like soft opens. And you can only go there if you make an appointment and then you have to be COVID tested out front. And then they do the rapid test there and then and then you can go in. And so it's okay. it's really not worth it unless like there's like a the team is flying in. That was the only reason I was there. <laughs> Where is it in San Mateo, by the way? Because I was just out there for a conference, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But where in... Where is Sather? Yes. Okay. We're literally around the corner. Oh, okay. I probably passed the building every day. It was probably just staring at me, but I didn't know that was the building. Quickly, and I should have asked this like probably the second thing I should have asked, but tell us a little about what Freshworks does. Like For those who don't know, give a little background on the company. Every time everyone hears Freshworks, they always think it's some sort of food company, but it's not. (laughs) Actually, we compete directly with Salesforce and ServiceNow. You know, it's where you can kind of log in everything that's going on with your sales journey, track everything that's going on. It also has kind of like another side to it too. There's, it's not just that we have like probably like 15 products into it. So it just depends on what you, what you're looking for. So we also have Fresh Marketer that's very similar to like a Marketo. So you can send out your email campaigns through there. Then you can do Fresh Desk. For like the Salesforce side, then there's the ITSM side. So like if you're trying to do like the service now, like the ticketing system with your your engineers or anything like that, if there anything comes up, there's also that support side. So it's kind of like a giant omni-channel 
product. So depending on what you're looking for, it really does hit for like the mid market, to be honest. So I've been lucky that that's been my focus on the enterprise side. I think Salesforce is probably still more of like the fit, but if you're kind of, and if you're a startup, it's still, it's too big for you because you probably don't need all that. But if you're at the mid market and you're looking for something that can do your ticketing system, your email marketing, tracking your sales and things like that, and, and being able to provide analytics for you, Freshworks is a great product. Basically, like, like you mentioned, an omni-channel all-in-one solution for multiple different functional areas. Exactly. Two-part question. Is there any difference in your field marketing approach with respect to different sales segments? And then I guess the second part of that question is, is there any difference in your approach with respect to different sales account executives between enterprise account executives and maybe mid-market account executives? Yes. Depending on where I've worked, my demographic has definitely changed. Like being at the startup side, it's more of a developer, younger audience, and then kind of getting at these larger companies. Like when I was at Workday and VMware, the director levels and above, the events were completely different than something I would have done for a developer audience or even what they would even attend. So yeah, it does totally change depending on the size of the company and the industry and you know what they can and can't accept. Like something which is really interesting when we do more on the enterprise side and we're marketing to healthcare, education, or government, they can't accept a lot of events that we do, like gifting, anything. Yep. So the marketing there is completely different and we have to go at a different angle compared to doing like the mid-market. Like this week, yesterday, we just did a race event at Austin Raceway Track. So mm-hmm. we have the director levels and above to come and like drive sports cars for an entire afternoon. And they were able to do that. And that was director level and above. But I feel like that that was cool to probably anybody. So it's really easy to market that one. But for the developer audience, it's completely different. Like they like more events where they're together and not on their own. And it's just something where I've realized that more on the the enterprise side where it's like director level and above, they're more for the VIP events where they're exclusively invited and they're not going to be with a ton of people and they can kind of like get in, get their questions answered and maybe do something cool, like have an executive dinner with like an executive chef and then they want to get out. Yep. Then, you know, the developer audience is like, they like more of like the happy hours, the hackathons, you know, yep. like where they're together as a group and they can all be together and, you know, bounce ideas off each other. So I would echo similar thoughts there. I, I think specifically because I came from a place where I was I was marketing to developers and engineers. They, they do tend to prefer the more what I would define as community based programs. So you mentioned stuff like the hackathons, workshops, happy hours. I think you know content focused aside, like happy hours, things that are like that are more VIP focused. Obviously, is probably not the right audience or not the right fit for that crowd. So it, it's interesting because I do think there is there definitely is. A slight differences, I think, between personas, obviously. I think there's some slight differences from a field marketing perspective between sales segments. I think as you probably get a little bit more downstream. So if you're, you know, you're working with like an SMB team, they probably want programs that are a little bit more transactional in nature that can lead to quick, quick wins. And obviously, you know, the enterprise team is looking at programs that they can leverage and deploy that are a little bit more strategic as far as their account plans go. So obviously that's, that's different. But then I think it also applies across the board to probably the reps as well, right? Again, the SMB reps, again, they probably want something that's transactional. Enterprise reps are looking at it a little bit more from a strategic point of view. You mentioned the Austin Raceway event. So obviously, I'm curious to hear about some of your 
or favorite events or you know, your favorite memory in your time as a field marketer. So, you know, obviously this podcast is called True Stories of Field Marketing. So this is a little bit of our true story time segment. So what's been your favorite event that you've run in the past or your favorite memory in your time as a field marketer? It could be an event, by the way, it can be an event, program, campaign, whatever you want to frame it as. But what's been your, you know, your favorite event or memory in your time as a field marketer? It always goes back to reinvent, to be honest. When I was really, really young and just getting into field marketing, I was at VMware and the trade shows that I had done with, when I was doing the health and safety events and OSHA certified were really not that exciting. You know, <laughs> it was really like still in a different time, the pull-up banner and just like a table, some pamphlets and yeah. then like, you know, CPR instructions and things like that. The branded tablecloth, right? Exactly. You know, it was like a different thing. And it was a very small venues. And sometimes it was just like a truck stop and like they had used a warehouse. So it was completely different. So when I went to VMware and I went to some of these, Interop was my first trade show. And walking into the Mandalay and kind of like seeing everything, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And this is like the time, you know, before also people started getting in trouble. And so, so there was like the booth babes were still around and yeah. like the, the cars on the show floor and there was no rules. Drones were flying around, you know? So I was kind of like, wow, this is crazy. It was exciting. So it started changing my mind because originally I was still in college and VMware was kind of like my first time doing like events where like eventually I wanted to get into festivals. I didn't actually want to be in tech. I wanted to do like electronic daisy festival or like <laughs> mm-hmm. outside lands and things like that. So, but this changed my mind. And then I love planning. I love like everything about putting together an event. I love the details. I'm kind of, people think I'm crazy, but I love show plans. I love trackers. I love all that stuff, everything that you work on so that it comes together. And it's just like this amazing experience. So the first time I went to reInvent, it blew my mind. I couldn't believe that they had taken over all of Las Vegas. I couldn't believe the details that went into like all the signage. And I know that sounds really boring, but the colors, the DJs in different rooms and like the show floor and then the parties that they put on. I couldn't imagine how much planning went into all of that. And I know that there's, you know, third party vendors and everything helping them put it all together besides their event team. But I was just thinking in my mind, like what an accomplishment at the end to be like the head event manager. And I just always kept it in my mind. So like, it's always been my favorite event. I can't wait to see how they're going to outdo themselves every year because it's always, it's always so grand. I was supposed to go this year and um, I'm really curious to see since COVID, like, what is it going to look like? Is it going to be the same? Yep. Yeah. So for those who are not aware, reInvent is AWS. So Amazon Web Services, AWS their largest conference of the year. It's a huge user conference that takes over Las Vegas. It's typically the week right after Thanksgiving. So I think this year it's the 29th, whatever that Monday is. 29th to the 3rd, I think. Yeah. Yeah. To Erica's point here, for, for anybody listening, it is a massive, massive conference. And I think in years past, I'm not sure what it'll be like this year. And Splash actually will be out there this year doing a small event. So you have to come to our event. Uh, I will come to your event. Yeah. I'm going to send you the invite after... <laughs> And if anybody else wants to come, you're absolutely more than welcome to come. It's on the Sunday night, November 28th. So shameless plug there for our event. But it's 50,000 people. It is massive. And so it doesn't just take over the Venetian and the Palazzo where the uh, Expo Hall is. It, it effectively, to your point, takes over the entire city. So you'll have people positioned and hosted at a number of different hotels all across the Strip. There's events going on all over town. There's things happening. 
there's like reinventafterparty.com that someone had put together. I don't know when they did this, but it started when I was at VMware and we started tracking it every year. And ever since then, I've tracked it every year. And basically like it is everyone's party. So someone on there has put, so you can RSVP ahead of time. So I will go on there. And for so many years, like I know the good parties now, like I know who throws a really good party and other ones that it's like, we should skip that one. So I start like always RSVPing my people where I'm like, we're going to do this and we're going to do like an event, like train in the evenings. But I also, as an event manager, it's a great time to get ideas. Yes. And so really, <laughs> okay. That venue's awesome. We should try to take that from them, you know, yes. and also be very judgmental. Like that party was awful, but like, yes. so you know not to go like, and it's weird that some people are willing to go all the way to the MGM Rubric, there was like the best party over there at Hakkasan. They've always done it. It's amazing. For those who are not familiar with Las Vegas, where reInvent is centrally located. So the Venetian is on one side of the strip. Yeah. And then the Rubric party is at the MGM, which is on the complete opposite side of the strip. But it's a great party. And that's yes. why people go. People yeah. go. Everyone will go. They'll leave all the other parties and they will go because it's always good. So that's why it's like, okay... You know, once you do it right, it's like people will keep coming back. And that's how you know. Yep. Did you ever go to Sumo Logic's party? With the Sumo wrestlers, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had a, I mean, both and partnered with them for one of those events. But I remember it was around the same time, I think, as the other party. Yep. I mean, everybody likes to host their party. So it's all three days, right? It's, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think... Is it Thursday or Wednesday? That re- I think it's Thursday. Reinvent does their big like, yeah, ending party. But I think everybody tries to get their marquee event in on Tuesday or Wednesday. I used to be a patron dude prior to coming to Splash, but we sponsored the the Sumo event in 2019. And they had done it prior to my time there. And so I really didn't know what to expect. They're like, we got a sponsor. It was like, okay, fine. We'll sponsor it. We'll see how this goes. And the line out the... I think it's at Caesars. was out the door getting into the, the venue. It was, it was insane how many people wanted to be on site to attend this sumo. It's a really cool concept. Obviously, it ties nicely back to the brand, but it was insane to see how many people wanted to be at this event. Which and it happens like they've done this event multiple years in a row now. So like people return to your point, like with Rubric and Hakistan, people return because the atmosphere, the ambiance, the experiences is kind of second to none. I could talk about reinvent for days, but timely enough, the future of conference and trade shows is gonna be our, our focus today. You know, I was at Saster. A uh, month and a half ago, whenever that was, so late September. It's funny you mentioned before about you know how you wanted to be in festivals. So the, the sat, I don't know. I think we talked about this prior to hitting the record button, but at Saster, it had a festival feel, and I've never been to a business conference that had that feel before. It's typically in you know the expo hall, most likely windowless, potentially in the basement, you know, hard concrete floors. You're walking. 10 miles to get from the your hotel door to the expo hall. But this was totally different. This was outside. All three days were outside. Most of the sessions, if not all the sessions, were outside. And it had that festival kind of feel. And it was an interesting, unique way, I think, to present and position a conference. And I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're going to do that again next year. But it was, it was interesting to see how... Uh, the audience that was attending kind of adapted to that situation as well. And what I want to ask is, I know that you recently came back from an in-person conference as well, which I think was your first one since the start of the pandemic. What was that conference like? Was there any you know, glaring differences between what the conference felt and looked like now versus maybe what it potentially looked like prior to COVID? Besides, obviously, you know, 
temperature checks. And I don't know if they did proof of vaccination or not. And then I think the other thing I wanted to know is, you know, were attendees, were attendees engaged when they willing to interact across the two or three days of the conference? Sure. So just really quick to go back to Saster. I think they did an awesome job. I know that people were pretty stressed out at first with like the, you had to do the testing yep. before show proof and then also show proof of vaccination to go in, but, and then doing an open air festival type event, I think was a really good idea. Yep. It'll be interesting to see when they do it next year. I think it'll stay hybrid. I think that's the, the future of events is the hybrid world of events. Yeah. Just to seeing, I think people are really noticing that, you know, you don't have to travel. The ticket is expensive. There's other sessions that you get, you know, to see that people that are on site don't get to see. But I thought it was a great concept for like trying to, a lot of people had to cancel, you know, a lot of events were getting canceled around that time because of Delta. And then they were kind of like able to just get through it. And people, once they did their first initial test, got through day one, people loved it. I've only heard really good feedback. So. Yep. And I can attest anecdotally, you know, we had about a dozen people out there from our team and, you know, we had no issues. Nobody, as far as I know, nobody, obviously everybody was vaccinated that was on site, but no breakthrough, anything like that. I've heard heard and seen nothing but good things from the conference. So kudos to the Sasser team on that. It was a really well-run conference. Transitioning back to the question that, I, that we've been trying to get to for 15 minutes here. But the first in-person conference you, you just recently returned from, give us the kind of your overall take and feel about what that, what that was like. Yeah. So it was in Las Vegas, technology and service world. You did have to show proof of vaccination and upload it to the Clear app. And once you got on site, they wouldn't let you into the area unless they were able to verify it on your app. So, and then if you couldn't verify it, there was also kind of like clear administrators on site that you could go talk to. And then they would like verify all of your stuff before you were let in. So there was that, that made people feel better. You know, there were a thousand people, I think on site, most people were online. And I will say like the sessions were attended well the expo hall is exactly what I thought it was going to be. People kind of maybe only went through maybe one or one time, checked it out, and then never came back. It was very slow. There were some high traffic times, but it's usually because they were doing a happy hour. Yep. There's going to be drinks. And it was like at the end of the day when like the last keynote had happened, people would come in, but they would come right out. So the traffic on the show floor was very slow. And also there was a breakthrough infection. We don't know if it happened at the show were on the way, but they had to inform everybody. And I think that kind of freaked everybody out a little bit. Okay. Because we were like, you know, day two, and then we all wake up to this email that like, hey, someone tested positive and they're in their hotel and then they've done the tracing and they didn't come by the expo floor. So you guys don't have to worry. But then everyone's like, well, what, who is it? You know, like, did we, maybe we saw them at a restaurant. Maybe we were on the same air, like, you yeah. know, so that weird thing where people were kind of like, how is everybody feeling? You know, how did they find out? And they did a rapid test, I guess, to the room that the show had provided. So I think that slowed down some traffic as well. I think a lot of us were asking for the name because we wanted to see if we had scanned them at some point. Right. Even though they didn't provide the expo floor, we were still, people were getting nervous. So there's that, you know, you can test, you can ask for proof of vaccination, but there are some breakthroughs. And then you have that you have to have that responsibility of saying, hey, someone tested positive and we can't tell you who it is. So good luck. You know, <laughs> so then you start to see people, I think, kind of like only attend the sessions that they really want to go to avoid, you know, the show floor, which is where you're going to see people. And I was really surprised, too, when it comes to like not the custom booths. Right. But 
now these vendors who, you know, we have the turnkey boots, they weren't offering anything to like have a plastic in between. Like, can I just rent one? Like, I know that you can sell it for like $200, right? We're, we're still going to get it. Right. I was really surprised that that hasn't been added or even like a station where you can sanitize your hands at the booth or things like that. You know, it's like during COVID times, I feel like would be a really good addition that people would really like to have at their booths. So that I was surprised about that, especially with like this one breakout that kind of happened. And I think it really slowed down everyone coming by. And then after we got another alert that there was another person that got sick. So we don't know if it's from the show. We don't know if it's from just being in Vegas, right? I mean, there's tons of people everywhere. Like we're, as soon as you walk out of the show area, I mean, there's people are partying everywhere. So you don't yep. really know if it's the show. Yeah, it is the, I'm going to say dark cloud, but I don't mean it in a negative sense. It is the dark cloud that hangs over, I think, in-person events and or conferences right now. It's just that the fear, I guess, is for lack of a better word, the fear of you know COVID and breakthrough infections, whether people are vaccinated or not. What did you do pre-conference to, to drive booth engagement or on-site meetings? Or I'm not sure if you had a wraparound event or pre-event registration, if you did. Did you do anything differently uh, from a tactical perspective that you normally wouldn't have done? More like the opposite. It's what I would have done. I mean, usually going into a trade show, we do a lot of outreach to try to book like lunches and dinners. And if we get a lot of people who are interested in meeting with us, creating a happy hour pretty quickly so that we can have all these interactions with prospects and customers and partners. And that's something that I had to actually respect. My own team wasn't comfortable, you know, so getting them on site was one thing. And then they were just like, well, I really don't want to meet with like that many people if I don't have to. So what we kind of decided to do instead is, you know, find out which active prospects in pipeline were on site and if we could meet with them. And we didn't have to meet at the booth. We could be outside of the booth at a restaurant. And we kept a lot of these interactions like less than 10 people to make people feel comfortable. So I would say these in-person events, we've like, we're trying to be instead of like quantity, like it's the quality, like, okay, they're already in pipe. Let's meet them. They're yeah. here. Our customers here, let's just invite them so like they can actually help us sell, right? Those were kind of the tactics that we did for this instead of like, we're going to be on site. Like obviously we did those kind of email campaigns to come by the booth if you're there, come by our session. But like for on-site meetings, we were really trying to do like not as many and really have like meetings that maybe will move down the pipeline after we're done with this event. Yep. Did they offer a virtual option for the conference? Was there like an ability for... I guess, virtual attendees and or virtual exhibitors to mix and mingle? I mean, there's the hybrid portion. So yeah, so you could attend the show, not really the floor or anything like that. I mean, we had like the virtual booth, you know, that's yeah. there. You click on it and it's basically like our landing page, right? But and then broken down with some collateral. But the hybrid portion did have more like, I think more like 5,000 people who attended. And they do get access to sessions that are not in person, that are just digital. So there's that side of it to it. So we had a digital session and then we were on site as well. I would say probably the best thing to do if they do hybrid next year is to do an in-person and a virtual session so that you can hit both. Yep. You mentioned this a few minutes ago, but I think much of the allure with sponsoring a conference or a trade show is you have a centralized audience in, in one specific location. It's kind of the go where they are mantra, right? With uncertainty, I think expected to probably continue into at least early 2022. And I'm hope I'm wrong with that. And this thing is over in the next three months. But right. <laughs> but as as we've painfully learned time and time again, it, it probably will continue for a period of time here into the new year. 
I would assume that because of it will continue, there probably be some form of, of travel reticence with respect to people attending conferences and trade shows. What are some of the, at least in your opinion, what are some of the things that you know field and event marketers can be doing to overcome or to augment that with respect to in-person conferences? What are some of the things that they can be thinking about doing that can alleviate that concern or you know make the most of their investment on site? Reuben's a tough one because that's a show floor of like, you know, you're thousands and thousands of people. So it's hard to alleviate anyone from, you know, you just have to be comfortable that you're going to be around thousands of people. <laughs> right. So if you're not comfortable with that, these large trade shows are probably not the place for you. And a regular trade show, like the one I just went to, right, where it's like kind of like the 500 to 10,000 and less. I would say if you're worried about like, is it worth it? I mean, of course it's worth it. I mean, this is being in person is you know, you're the face of the company, you're just starting to get out there. And I think having a virtual presence and an in-person presence is worth it so that people can see your brand and that you're out there and they can meet you one-on-one. I would say, you know, put up, if you can get the plexiglass for your booth. I was really hoping that at this first trade show, it was a learning experience to kind of see like, well, are they going to provide it? Is it something we can rent or add to our turnkey booth? And when we got on site, it's, it was kind of just ran as a regular trade show. Not that it's bad. I mean, they did their part in doing the proof of vaccination. But if your team is worried or you think other people are worried to get in front of you, like add these things into your booth. Also, if you want to do these meetings with people on site, ask them what they're comfortable with. Like, do you want, are you comfortable meeting on the show floor? Do you, would you rather meet outside of the, you know, just mm-hmm. don't be afraid to ask. Everyone has their own, you know what they're comfortable and not comfortable with. And I think that's just how it's going to be for a while. I mean, the people who are attending reInvent, I feel like are the people who are more open to being around a lot of people and aren't as afraid. The smaller trade shows, you're kind of seeing like, okay, they're comfortable. And then people who aren't attending trade shows, but are willing to do in-person events. I think to be honest, on my end, I have found those to be the most successful. Like this Raceway event, we it's less than 20 people. Anything less than 20 people has really worked out for me, but you know, it has to be something exciting and fun worth going out and being around 20 people that they don't know. And they're hoping to also not get sick. So if you had to ask me, it's like, okay, would you do the in-person events or the trade shows right now? I'd be like, do the in-person events. I wouldn't try to, to sponsor like before, you know, I used to sponsor like 20, 30 trade shows in a year and I, you'd never see me. I was gone 50% of the time. Now I feel like Maybe choose four flagship events, go big, and then yep. everything in between to your your smaller in person. Getting ready to invite them all that you're going to be in this area, like at this big trade show. Back to your point, or a little while ago, with quality over quantity. Give me one bold prediction on the future of conferences and trade shows. One big bold prediction that the folks that are listening to this can can say, oh, okay, that's a little bit either different or just something that you know, you're know you pretty confident about will be the, the standard bearer going forward. Hybrid is never going to go away. That's it. That's the future of trade shows. And I think it's also because people are seeing so... like You go to a trade show, it's like, there's going to be 10,000 people at this show. But now people are getting 40,000 people at their show because all of them are virtual now. So it's like, you know, maybe one day they will get back to those 10,000 people on site, but why would they lose all those thousands of people that joined virtually? Yeah. And their event is so much bigger. So I don't think that's going anywhere. The event industry now, you're going to have sponsorships that are half virtual sponsorships and half in person and hybrid. Yep. I'm in full agreement and alignment with you on that. One last true story time here. Give me your funniest 
conference or trade show memory. Keep in mind, this is a suitable for work show. So we'll want a story that is relatively mild and one that we can publish without threat of litigation or anything of that nature. I won't mention the company name or anything like that, but I was pretty young and I was on site for an event. I was like really young. So like when it came to the event, I think on site for the event and for the hotel, I was like event manager five, you know? So I didn't even make it to the cool tower where like all the main event managers were and like thought leadership, like all the people who were like VIPs, like I didn't even make that. I was in like the, the regular like hotel. Like I had to walk over to the like show floor really far and all of that. The chances of like anything bad happening or an emergency, the chances that I would get a phone call are like slim to none, never going to happen. Right. So I did like my little thing where I'd like check in with the sponsors and, you know, do like a lot of cleanup and stuff at the end of the day. And it was the last day of the show we closed and, you know, had the party. And then, you know, I think people went out, but I was so new and young that I was so scared to make like a, I want to make a good impression. So I go to my room and I'm just like, you know, I'll just go to bed early and then wake up and try to do whatever cleanup is left or whatever. But around like three, almost four in the morning, my phone kept ringing in the room, which was weird. Okay. I answered the phone and it was the hotel security. And they were like, hi, is this Eric Aguilar? This is my name at the time before I got married. And I was like, yes, is everything okay? They're like, we need you to come down to the lobby immediately. So I was like, oh my God, like what? Oh no. <laughs> At, hold on. Hold on. At what time of morning? This would just make, I want to make sure. It's like 3.45. Oh, it's like the worst time. It's the worst time. Uh, I was calls. super anxious, right? Because I was, God, how old was I? I was probably like 24, 25, you know, pretty young. I was like, okay, like, did I do something wrong? And they're like, no, but you're the event manager five on the list and we can't get a hold of anyone else. And there's an emergency with your staff in our lobby fountain. So I was like, okay. So I go down and there are director level and above people drunk in the fountain, like in the fountain. Right. And they're like trying to get them out and security's already there. And I'm like, thank God they weren't wearing any like swag. Right. So like they oh can my God. where they're from. Right. So I was there and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Right. And they're like, well, you have to get them out. Or, I mean, we haven't called the police because the show was just there. Right. They're like, you have to get them out. And if you don't, then, then we will call the police. So, and then people are taking pictures, but thank God this is like, this is like a while ago. So this is like before Instagram, like there's a Facebook, but people aren't going crazy and like streaming live. We're really lucky it didn't happen then. Wow. <laughs> so, I'm in there, like in my jammies, right? And I'm trying to get them out. And I'm like, please. And they don't know my name. Like, I'm not like a like one of the lead event managers. So people are just like, who are you? And then, nah, nah, nah. you know, I'm like, you have to get out because you're going to end up on the news and <laughs> it's going to be on CNN and we're going to get in trouble. And like, it was like a whole thing that I like literally dragged them out. And we we're holding like the arms. And oh, man. And I was like, where are their rooms? And had to take them all the way back. And it was just such a funny experience because the next day I was getting phone calls from the lead event managers. Like what happened? Like we were out or like we were sleeping. I'm like, okay. But I think I earned some stripes that day, that night, you know, we didn't end up on the news. And yeah, (laughs) I think we got a warning though from the hotel that like that can't happen again. Or like you guys will be 86 from the hotel forever. But it was a funny experience just being so young and getting that call. Yeah. 
no one's ever going to call me. Like, I'm just like at the bottom, you know? So it was a learning experience and it's, it hasn't been the first time that I've been called to like handle. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. You know, even if I had a story, I I don't even want to share it because I it's gonna be relatively tame and mild, and I don't want to come off like a like a goober telling a story that's not even close to that that interest right there. Anyways, let's wrap up a little rapid fire before we get out of here. A uh, few questions. So, one, what is the hardest part about what you do? Keeping everybody on the same page. Like, if there's a big show and, and you're managing like 30 people that are involved, that's probably the toughest part is making sure like everyone handles their deliverables and is accountable so that this event can actually be successful is one of the toughest things that I go through. Yep. What is your favorite part about what you do? The creativity part. What can we do to stand out, be better than the booth next to us, be, be, have a better event than you know, our competitors is usually something that really gets me going. <laughs> yep. It's a little competition. Never hurts yeah. anybody. If you could send a Slack, text message, email, I guess, letter to every field marketer in the world today, whatever your preferred method of communication is, what would it say? To stay consistent, you know, no matter how big or small the event is, you know, treat them all like tier ones. If you do that, people will respect what you do. And anything that you can't control on your list, just cross it out and focus on what you can do, you know? Yep. And lastly, where can... I don't know if you're an active LinkedIn user or not, but where can people find you either on Twitter or LinkedIn? I don't know if you want to provide an information or not, but if you're active on social, is there any place that um, people can find you to see the latest and greatest that you're working on? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn under Erica Parker. I am on Twitter. I'm not like super active, but you can find me under Mrs. Parker Events. Okay, cool. At Mrs. Parker Events. Make sure you put the the outside. (laughs) And Erica, you can find her on LinkedIn too. Erica Parker, she's at Freshworks. Erica, thank you. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of today's episode, but I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And then to our audience, thank you for, for listening today. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of True Stories of Field Marketing. Until next time. Thank you. True Stories of Field Marketing is a production of Splash, an event marketing platform that makes your events measurable, on-brand, beautiful, and easier than ever. You can enjoy True Stories of Field Marketing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. I am Billy Bonson. We'll see you next time.